Well, good morning, Church. How are we doing this morning? Good. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. I'm Greg Hesterman. I'm one of the uh, elders here at New Life, and it's my pleasure to get to come to you this morning to share about the love of God and what that means for us. You know, Christmas time for me is a very special time. Um, it goes back to when I was a kid. You see, I grew up in an um, extended family that was rather large. So there are six families on my mom's side alone, 18 cousins today. But back when I was little, when I was about 10, 11 years old, there was about 12 of us cousins. And so we had 12 aunts and uncles and my two grandparents. And we'd go to my grandpa's house um, that was in a little uh, Christian community called Bethany Beach. It was on the southwest side of Michigan, right near, if you know where Warren Dunes State Park is, it's just south of there. It's actually on Lake Michigan, and the sand dunes were between their house and the beach, and we'd go there during the summer, but Christmas time was especially wonderful for me. You see, my grandparents, they were crazy. They had us all stay with them, all of us, and there was kids sleeping everywhere, and the gifts under the tree, you couldn't see the tree. It was nuts. We'd have massive dinner all around two tables, right? You had the kids' table and you had the adults' table, different rooms so we could actually, the adults could actually hear themselves think. We'd get to go sledding on the dunes. My aunt would bring home these, uh, she worked, she was a waitress at a truck stop and she'd bring home these uh, truck inner tubes and we'd inflate those and that's what we'd use to go down the dunes that were covered in just a ton of snow every year. It never failed, there was just a ton of snow. And it was just so much fun. Uh, except for when I actually came to open presents because it took forever. One at a time, all around the room, hours, right? We'd actually take a break to have breakfast and then we'd go back to it. And for my grandpa, I remember how much he loved it. You could just see him. He'd be walking through the house, singing carols, singing old hymns, just having a grand old time. You could see the sparkle in his eye. And it was especially a special time for him because, you see, it was actually his birthday as well. So it was a big day. So after we did all of our presents, we'd sleep it off and then come back in the evening and open up his birthday presents. And it was just a wonderful time. As, as a grandfather myself now, um, I'm starting to see it more through his eyes, what Christmas, the joy of Christmas really is, and the joy it brings, you know, to see your grandkids, especially, oh, he's my oldest, he's two now, and to see him, he's making Christmas cookies with Amy yesterday, and, you know, just see his excitement, his wonder at this thing called Christmas, right, as he starts to grasp that he gets a lot of cool stuff. But, um, it's just a great time, and I just love it. And I, from Thanksgiving on through New Year's, I just love it, and then I'm ready for spring. But Christmas time is just incredibly special. And seeing it through my grandfather's eyes, it, it, every year it gets better and better. But that's not the only reason why Christmas is so special to me. You see, over these last 50 years, thankfully, my relationship with my Heavenly Father has improved dramatically. Um, and I'm starting to see and really appreciate the meaning of Christmas through his eyes and coming to understand the importance of this Christmas season, right? It's so easy in the hustle and bustle to blow right through it. And next thing you know, it's over before you even got a second to enjoy it. 
But as my relationship with God has grown and I've seen his love for me and the, the love he did for us as believers on that Christmas morning, wow, it is just an amazing, amazing time. So for me this morning, I get the benefit of talking to you about love and what that means for us from a father-child perspective as well as as Christians, what it means for us to love. And how the Christmas story is really just one small piece of the love story that is the gospel. And we're going to talk about that this morning. But let's, let's go ahead and bow our heads in prayer, and then we'll go ahead and get started. Father, I just thank you so very much for this Advent season. And as we've learned about your peace and your hope and your joy, Lord, and today about your love. It's just a reminder of the way your grand design is here for us to just see and understand who you are. So this morning, Father, as we go to your word, I just pray that my words are honoring to you, that, that the picture painted is accurate to the love that you show for us as believers, Lord. We just love you and appreciate you. And are so very thankful for that special Christmas morning. Amen. Okay. All you need is love, right? Who sang that song? Anybody? I, you don't count, honey. <laughs> you do, but I, I knew she'd know that answer. It's her favorite band. But, you know, it's not entirely true, but it, but it is pretty accurate. You know, we've talked about peace, hope, and joy, which are all pretty cool things. But really, when it comes down to it, love is it's really the key point to the gospel and what, what gets us there. And this morning, I'm going to share three points that I hope will help you understand a little bit better what God's love looks like for us and the way we're supposed to respond. So I'm going to start with point number one. Point number one is the cornerstone of the gospel is love. Now, think about it what the gospel means to us as believers. I'm going to go through three verses that I think are fairly familiar to us as believers. They should, they should ring a bell for sure. The first one being John 3.16, right? I think this is probably one of the first verses any Christian could probably read back by memory. But it reads, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God loved us that much that he offered up his one and only son to come into this broken world to die on a cross so that we could be forgiven. The ultimate sacrifice, right? The ultimate sign of love. There is no greater love than to lay down your life for one. In Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of work so that no one may boast. Offering grace to someone takes a lot of effort. Especially when they don't deserve it, right? But God did that for us. And the reality is there's no grace without love. And in John chapter 15, verse 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. And we, we know and understand that. The world understands that, right? Whether it's first responders or those in the military, when, when someone offers themselves in order to save others, we respect that. 
to our core. We understand that that is a big deal. But that's exactly what Christ did for us on the cross. And he did not deserve to go to that cross. You know, in order for him to be able to go to the cross, Christ had to be fully man, right? For him to be able to die, you first have to live. And he lived as a man. In order to live as a man, what do you have to do first? What's the first thing that has to happen? You have to be born, right? All of us were born. We all came from our mothers, and it's a wonderful, wonderful story, the story of Christ's birth. And a key component to the gospel is the Christmas story. Because without the Christmas story, we wouldn't have the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But you know, when we go through the Christmas story, love is present throughout. Now, I'm not talking about the soft, mushy type of love that I think all of us are guilty of thinking of at Christmas time, right? Close your eyes for a second with me, okay? When I mention the Christmas story, what comes to mind? Do you see a nativity scene? A starry night with a single star over Bethlehem? Do you see shepherds watching over their sheep? Quietly, of course. All is peaceful. Do you see Mary and Joseph traveling, coming to the inn, and the inn, there's no room. So now they must go to a stable. And all of a sudden, the baby Jesus is there, and they place him in a manger. And the Magi come, and they offer their gifts, and then they go home. A very soft, warm, comfortable feeling, right? Now open your eyes. I have a hard time believing that that's exactly the way the story went down. And I think as you take the time to truly read through what took place for the Christmas story to happen, you'll see what I mean. The love that night was demonstrated in many ways, but I want to share one piece of it. And I think it's, it's just the opening piece to the greatest single epic story ever told. So I want to share with you the story of Joseph and, and how he responded when he found out that Mary was pregnant. Okay? So we're going to start in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." And jump forward to verse 24, it says, When Joseph got up from sleeping, he did as the Lord's angel commanded him. He married her, but did not know her intimately until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Now, I think it's pretty easy to just read through that, right? We've probably read it a hundred times and not really take time to think about what it was like to be in Joseph's shoes. So let's, let's take this apart a little bit piece by piece. Let's first talk about what does it mean to be betrothed? right? 
We just think it's a fancy word for being engaged. It's not. I mean, engagements nowadays, they can start and end, and, and not that it's not a big deal if, it's to, if it ends unexpectedly, but it's not the end of the world, right? You haven't committed until the wedding day. But back then, being betrothed was a whole different level. Let me go ahead and read you what BibleGateway.org describes being betrothed as. It says, The period of engagement preceding marriage, betrothal was a binding contract established between two families and sealed by the exchange of gifts. During this period, the couple did not live together. Sexual relations with each other at this stage was regarded as the equivalent to adultery. So basically, you're married. If you notice, they refer to Joseph in verse 19 as the husband of Mary, right? They're committed, 100%. To get out of it actually required divorce. So for a baby to show up during this time frame might raise some questions, do you think? So either one of two things happened. Either Mary and Joseph were together or Mary was with somebody else. Now think about that from Joseph's standpoint. He knows that he wasn't with Mary to cause that baby to come. So here's his wife, literally his wife, and she's pregnant. Imagine the heartache, the fear, the anger, the hurt that he would experience in those moments when he first found out that she was expecting. That would hurt. That would cut, cut you deep to know that that's what's happening. So then the angel comes in his dream, right? The angel said, hey, Joseph, it's okay. This baby's from the Lord. The Holy Spirit is the reason why she's pregnant. Cool, right? All problems solved? Maybe in Joseph's mind it is. He's put it to ease. But what about everybody else in Mary and Joseph's life? The family? The friends? The neighbors? They know what's going on, right? There's been a big announcement, a big engagement betrothal ceremony, but they know they're not married yet. They've not consummated the marriage yet. There should not be a pregnancy, but there's a pregnancy. So imagine Joseph is there and his buddy, let's call him Dave. Dave comes up to Joseph and goes, hey, Joseph, so uh, what's going on? Well, what do you mean, Dave? What are you talking about? Well, Mary, I mean, you can't really hide the pregnancy, right? Mary's showing a little bit. Looks like I don't think she's eating too much. She's pregnant, right? What happened? You got to understand the consequences of adultery at that time frame. What's supposed to happen if two and men and if a man and woman commit adultery, they're to be stoned. If a woman gets pregnant outside of marriage and you don't know who the husband is, she's still supposed to be put to death. That's the consequences of these actions. 
puts a little different perspective in why Joseph was trying to divorce her quietly. Speaks to his character, doesn't it? So back to Dave and Joseph. Oh, Dave, it's all right. I had a dream. Angel of the Lord told me it's okay because that baby's from the Holy Spirit. Right? Everything's good, right? (laughs) Yeah. You can imagine Dave walking away from that conversation, can't you? Yeah, Joseph might be uh, hitting the wine a little too hard or something. You know, whatever he needs to justify in his mind. But see, Joseph loved God and wanted to honor God with his actions. And that explanation from the angel was good enough for him. And I'm sure in his heart, he loved Mary too and didn't want the consequences that is called for under the Old Testament law for Mary. So he's willing to take on not just Mary, but also this baby that wasn't his. And it that relationship doesn't end just because Jesus shows up. Now Jesus is born. Joseph still has to play the role of adopted father for that baby. When everybody in the world, in their little world anyways, knows that that's not his son. Wow. That is an amazing kind of love, don't you think? Now, that's not the only time love was shown in the Christmas story. Obviously, the greatest love ever shown was when Jesus came into the world. So let's go back to John chapter 3 again. We're going to pick up halfway through verse 16 and on into 17. It says that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God loved us so much to send his only son into this world so that we could be saved. And that's why the Christmas story is the cornerstone of the gospel. And that cornerstone is love. Which brings me to point number two. Love defines us as Christians. Now you may think Christians aren't the only ones that love, right? The whole world likes love. Every religion has some form of it. Our music... Our books, our movies. Has anybody watched the Hallmark Channel this month? 25 Days of Christmas, right? Every Christmas movie is the same, right, on the Hallmark Channel. Boy meets girl. Boy and girl fall in love, right, Trev? Boy and girl hit a bumpy road, they break up. Boy buys Christmas tree. Gets back with girl. And it snows. And on Christmas Eve, well, of course they kiss, yes, right? On Christmas Eve, every story, that's the world's idea of love. That is not God's idea of love. But love needs to define us. You know, the, the world's idea of love is very emotionally driven, right? It's based on feelings. It's based on things that are not everlasting, That's great. Those emotions are great. But the thing is, emotions change. Look at marriages, friendships, promises broken, all based on emotions. Because people are like, well, I don't feel that way anymore. 
I don't want to do that anymore. I don't love you anymore because I just don't feel the same way anymore. That's not the kind of love that we're called to. We're called to a higher standard of love, God's type of love. Let's, in, in John chapter 13, Jesus actually directs us to love. It says, beginning at verse 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That starts out as a new commandment. Well, why is that a new commandment? Because, I mean, actually in the Old Testament, in Leviticus chapter 19, we're told to love your neighbor as yourself. So how does that differ from what Jesus is calling us to? What does your love of yourself look like? Honestly, what, how do you love yourself? Sometimes it can be selfish, but other times, I mean, I can be my harshest critic of myself. I disappoint myself. I don't feel good about myself. I don't like myself. That's not the type of love we're called to. We're called to love as Jesus loved us, right? So let's compare that. How did Jesus love He loved the unlovable, right? Tax collectors, adulterers, the mouthful there, the sick, widows, orphans. He even went so far as on the cross, the very men that were responsible for his body being torn apart, his hands and feet being pierced and nailed to a cross, And what did Jesus say? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Talk about love. That's the love that we are called to. Jesus didn't deserve to go to the cross. He didn't deserve any of that, but yet he still did it because he loved us. You know, the world sees love as a feeling, an emotion, right? Now, I won't lie. There are definite feelings in there. I feel it every time I see my grandbabies. When my daughters come over, it's just my greatest joy. When I see my wife walk in the room, I feel it. It's wonderful. But that's not everything because love really, when it comes down to it, is a choice. It's not an emotion. Loving people is a choice, and we got to make that choice every day. A couple examples. My wife, Amy. We've been in relationship now for about 34 years. 1987 is when we started dating. Dating relationship was not pretty. I think I've talked about that before. Lots of opportunities for Amy to say, I'm done. But even since we got married in 1991, since that time, I've done things that have hurt her. I've said things. And I guarantee you, there's days when she really just didn't like me because I didn't deserve to be liked. But she continued to love me. As a parent, you love your kids. You do anything for your kids. There is not a better picture for me of God's love for me than me being a parent to my own two girls. I would do anything for them. I would lay my life down for them, no questions asked. But there's days when there's been heartache. There's been days of disappointment. 
because they're not perfect and I'm not perfect and I was never the perfect father for them. But I still love them and I always will. I choose to love them even though there may not always be that warm, fuzzy emotion and that is what we're called to. You know, a feeling won't last but sacrificial love, loving like Jesus, I can tell you that can last a lifetime which brings me to point number three. Love should be the fuel that empowers us. Now, clearly, I'm not talking about the emotional type, right? Because that'll run out. But having an understanding and appreciation of the love God demonstrates to us and bringing his son down to this broken world to love, to suffer, and to die so that we may live, that's the love that should be motivating us. You know, don't be mistaken. God's love is not unconditional. There are expectations there for sure. Remember in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, we talked about it. We are saved by grace through faith. That's our faith in Christ Jesus that he came here for us. We must make that decision. But the thing is, God's love is unchanging. It is unceasing. And it is everlasting. We know where the bar is every single day. He doesn't move it based on his feelings for us. We know clearly what the expectations are and where we stand. It's up to us to decide, are we going to be on this side of the bar where we put ourselves first, make choices based on our own feelings, or are we going to put God first? and be on the side of the bar where we understand and love our Heavenly Father who loved us enough to send His Son to die for us. That's up to us. You know, when we see the Christmas story through God's lens, how can we not be affected by that? How can we not be changed when we take the time to really understand what He did for us? You know, it's amazing. <laughs> If you do a word search for love in the Bible, you, there's just a ton of material that comes up. You know, I was at, at no shortage this week at all, but it was interesting. So I'm in my D group, I, prepping for a sermon, the same time I'm supposed to be reading for my D group each day, ideally each day, right guys, um, is hard. And oh, part of the time I want to say, you know what, God, I'm spending time with you anyways. I don't need to do my D group study, but I don't want to sit on their side of the table for my friends and say I didn't have the time to read. So I made sure I did. And God works in wonderful ways because the reading this week, one of them um, is on this very topic, and it's out of 1 John chapter 4. And it said this, starting in verse 9, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or satisfaction for our sins. And I love how this next sentence, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. This is the type of love I'm talking about. A perfect, self-sacrificing, unchanging type of love is how we should love others. That's not always easy. But this is the type of love that should fuel us so we're able to choose 
to love those who hurt us, those who disappoint us, those who, quite frankly, aren't very lovable on their best day. It applies to us in the church, to those you run into this week in the department stores as you get your last-minute Christmas shopping done or going to Meijer. It applies to the family members that we may see that whenever they sit at the table, they're going to bring up topics or say things that are hurtful and divisive. The ones that are hard to love are the ones we're called to love. Now, okay, that's great. We can talk about love all day long, but what does that really look like, right? Well, thankfully, we have a picture painted for us in, in what some refer to as the love chapter, and that's 1 Corinthians 13. And now listen to these words and try and understand exactly what they mean for us. Starting in verse 4, it says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never fails. I'm sorry, love never ends. What an awesome picture. Think what the last year, 2020, would look like if we as a church did that every single day with everybody that we came in contact with. All the divisiveness in our country right now, whether it's over politics, COVID, who's wearing a mask, who's not wearing a mask, I think the world would be quite a bit different if we could go out every day and live this way. You know, I, I won't say it's easy, but thankfully we don't have to do it with our own strength. We can rely on God. And I know from my own perspective, because of what God's done in my life, the closer I am to him, the easier it is to love in this way. The more we understand the way he loves us, the more we can offer that love to others. That's the only way you're going to be able to get through it, I, I guarantee you. But loving this way through God's eyes, with his heart and strength, that's how we show the world what true love looks like. And honestly, that is what will draw others to the gospel. When you demonstrate a love, an uncommon love, that is not your emotionally driven, emotionally decided type of love that the world lives in, but you love others on good days and bad days, they're going to see something different in you. And they're going to want to understand why. And that's what we're called to do. That is what the Christmas story is all about. So this week, as you go about finalizing your preparation, even for a COVID Christmas, and I know it's not going to look necessarily like other years, but there's still opportunity there opportunity to show love to those you come in contact with. Maybe it's bringing something to the neighbor and leaving it on their doorstep. Maybe it's being more gentle with somebody in Meyer. 
as they are rude to you or say things that are offensive or not behaving the way you would hope that they would behave. But if you can go about this week remembering what God did for us on that Christmas morning and understanding why that matters so much to us as Christ followers, I guarantee you it'll be a whole lot more enjoyable season. And I think you'll be impressed by how others respond to you. So this week, show your appreciation for that type of love by loving others. Not as the world shows love based on emotions, but as God loved us, unrelenting and unchanging love. The type of love that encourages, offers forgiveness when it is not deserved, and lifts others up beyond what they themselves have earned. Let's pray. Father, we are just so incredibly thankful for how you demonstrate love to us every single day, Lord. We're thankful that you loved us enough to send your son to place him on that cross and to offer him as a sacrifice to us who don't deserve it, Lord. We hope that we can be fueled by the love that you show us, Lord, and go out into the world and share the gospel with others and how we love them. We truly do appreciate the way you have loved us, and we just hope that in some way we can love you back in the same way. Your son's holy and precious name I pray. Amen.